Hello all and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, your weekly look at the IT news of the week. I'm your host, Rich Straffolino, editor with Gestalt IT. Joining me from just a little ways away, uh, across a, an interstate or two, is the one, the only, the cloud man, Ken Nalbone. Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Rich. Happy to be here. Fantastic. Uh, so kind of uh, before in the little ramp up to the show, I mentioned uh, we had some people out at some events. Uh, one of the events going on right now, HPE Discover uh, going on right now. And of course, uh, as we would expect, there are quite a few announcements out of there. So let's run down a couple of those. Uh, HPE announced a new storage portfolio designed for AI workloads called Primera Storage. This kind of joins 3PAR and the things they're doing with Nimble and is the, as, a, as a discrete kind of storage portfolio. Available in August for large enterprise deployments, Primera will offer built-in data reduction, multi-node design for easier scaling, which is one of the big items uh, in there, as you can imagine. 100% availability guarantee, aka I'm pretty sure there's just an SLA and they'll pay you if it's not 100% available. Uh, InfoSight Analytics integrated, which is very interesting and I think uh, a key part of HPE's storage uh, solutions going forward and comes in a variety of consumption models it will also self-install in a claimed 20 minutes which i don't believe at all and <laughs> it'll be competing with pure storage and dell emc's offerings uh pure storage i think pretty notable uh amongst their competitors there mm -hmm. uh in other news we also have um hp bringing composability to some of their proline servers and simplicity appliances via the composable cloud application and they're bringing NetSite Analytics and public cloud gateways to Aruba Central, as well as GreenLake for Aruba for edge networking as a service to cover enterprise Wi-Fi, edge switching, uh, and security. And, you know, kind of GreenLake expanding and, and being, a, one, being a huge profit center for HPE and moving into more mid-market uh, situations was another kind of the general theme, I think, of HPE Discover. So, Ken, a lot of stuff out there. Mm -hmm. uh, anything kind of strike you as uh, as, as more important than uh, some of the other announcements? Well, I'm sure I'm going to disappoint our boss, Stephen Foskett, by not saying that it was Primera Storage, but it's not for me, at least. Uh, this stuff about GreenLake and composable infrastructure, basically HPE trying to make IT infrastructure more dynamic is the important story to me. Basically, um, enterprise IT for a long time has been slow and developers and business stakeholders have forced their hands to find new ways to respond quicker to requests. And the kinds of things that HPE is doing signifies that they want to be the ones to supply that to enterprise IT departments, whether it's, you know, having your own infrastructure that, you know, you can just pay for as you go with GreenLake, whether it's like being able to adjust to demand more quickly with composable infrastructure, whatever the case may be, whatever they can get to the folks who need it more quickly, uh, that all the better. And HPE wants to be the one to enable enterprise IT departments to do that. So that's that's my takeaway there. Based on what I've seen from the composable announcements, which it's more of a announcement. I didn't see any white papers or anything out there mm -hmm. kind of going into technical detail on this. I'm wondering how, if you want to get you know canonical about it, how true the composability here or whether this is more of a, a software defined play, you know, uh, most of my experience, I guess, with composable comes with, uh, you know, uh, working with and, um, and seeing uh, presentations from a company liquid, mm -hmm. uh, which uses like a PCI switch um, to kind of manage all of that composability and kind of dynamically uh, be able to do that. So I'm interested to see how well that works. However, uh, at least SimpliVity was mentioned. So that's always like, yeah, nice for them. I don't know that I necessarily count SimpliVity as their, their top, uh, <laughs> product in that lineup, frankly. You know, they mentioned things like, you know, 
being able to use vSAN on a composable infrastructure, which, by the way, is their Synergy platform that was announced, I think, two discovers ago, if not last yeah. year. Uh, they were pretty much the company that defined the composable market, as far as I know. Uh, Liquid is more of a hardware agnostic one, whereas HP's product requires HP hardware, of course. Well, and, and notably, uh, you, well, at least historically, is used an Ethernet backend, right? Uh or is that has that have they updated I, that? I don't remember honestly. You know, it, it basically looks like a big blade chassis, but has more way more capabilities than a blade chassis ever did to basically be able to dynamically assign resources uh, across the entire platform. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what the back end was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, sorry to say. So we'd have to do more research and update the show notes if we really want to know. Or we can just let our structure special coming up. Yeah, or, or our viewers can go out and do the research themselves. Yeah, exactly. Have fun but, with that. I do also think it's interesting that they're broadening the definition of what their green lake is, you know, kind of this green lake on the edge running on Aruba hardware is, you know, that that's more of a, okay, we're going to use green lake for when we mean as a service now mm-hmm. going forward. But I think the play is interesting in and of itself, even if it's not necessarily directly related to some of their other green lake products or solutions. Yeah. I think green lake is more, more or less, what do we have in our portfolio that we could put supplies to service now? Not necessarily what aligns well from a product perspective. Let's just do it all and see what <laughs> Why sticks. Why not? And speaking of doing it all, uh, NVIDIA is certainly in that camp. At the International Supercomputing Conference, NVIDIA had a few interesting announcements. The company released a CUDA X HPC, which includes compilers, APIs, and software built on top of its parallel computing platform. If you're familiar with CUDA at all, uh, it certainly uh, has a, a, a very big footprint on the computing space, GPU computing space in the consumer space, and definitely making an HPC play here. Uh, they've also announced they've partnered with ARM to bring CUDA X support to that platform as well. Uh, sadly, this is limited to HPC use cases, so you probably still can't do video transcoding any better on your Raspberry Pi teardrop. Uh, but NVIDIA now has CUDA support for x86, IBM Power, and ARM architectures. Ken, as Moore's Law slows down or arguably comes to an end, is this kind of parallelization a key to keeping HPC performance growing at its breakneck pace? Oh, yeah, absolutely. For HPC computing or even enterprise computing for that matter. Um, you know, NVIDIA, I don't think they necessarily need to go down that path yet, even though this announcement was more about, you know, software and libraries than it was their hardware. They've been able to produce faster chips and smaller fab processes for a while now, but it's probably good to get out in front of this. It's only a matter of time before Moore's Law catches up to them, right? Yeah. Um, it's just it's just amazing to see these kinds of announcements come out from NVIDIA. It's almost like they stumbled into this space. You know, you there's no way 10 years ago or even five years ago you could have imagined Uh, this little gaming graphics company being mentioned in HPC and enterprise and data science use cases. But all of a sudden the demand kind of skyrocketed and people discovered that, Oh, these, these, this silicon is great for these purposes. No, wait, <laughs> we can reuse these CUDA libraries and, and do some really amazing things. And NVIDIA was probably caught a bit unawares. You know, all of a sudden there were GPU shortages, but they're kind of catching up and rectifying that. And now they've got a really strong enterprise and HPC play. Uh, and it's been really exciting to see. Yeah, and in a weird way, this they've really pioneered this kind of parallel GPU computing mm-hmm. uh, in a way that, I mean, AMD, you never, I, I miss, they have capabilities on it. I remember when CUDA first came out, they had some version of it that no one wanted to use. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you have things like, um, uh, what is it, OpenCL and, and, and languages like that, that theoretically can use any GPU or something like that. But they've really done pioneering work with CUDA and you're right. Up until, yeah, not even five years ago, when you heard about that, it was like, oh, cool, It'll my transcodes will go faster. And it was really this niche use case mm-hmm. that even though it was available on virtually every GPU that they sold, I don't think many people used it. And like I said, a very specialized use cases. And now 
kind of doubling down on that and making that a product, not just a feature. You know, I, I think one day maybe we see an NVIDIA that isn't strictly tied to uh, physical silicon uh, anymore. Yeah, maybe. I'm thinking that I think they're always going to have that silicon, at least for the future that I can envision, but it won't be their only play. Yes. And uh, interesting to see. And I also think on an HPC front, working with ARM and, and allowing for that kind of uh, parallel computing uh, uh, on that platform, then also brings down not, not just increases performance, but also allows for greater performance per watt, which is also a, a supremely important when it comes to supercomputing. Extremely important. Also important in edge use cases. So I can see cases where people talk about doing AI and ML processing at the edge to enable certain applications like self-driving cars or whatever. All of a sudden that's accelerated thanks to, you know, this this nice library that works on ARM, which is, you know, more popular at those kind of remote, smaller locations closer to where the application needs to be. You know, it's an embarrassment of riches for NVIDIA, but riches are not something that's coming to Huawei recently. Their CEO, uh, Ren Zhengfei, announced lowered revenue expectations for the year since being put on the U.S. Department of Commerce's entity list, which bars U.S. sales to the company. Uh, in the statement, Ren said the company's international smartphone shipments declined 40% in the past month. The company's initial guidance expected 2019 revenue between $125 billion and $130 billion. But Rend announced it now expects revenue around $100 billion for 2019 and 2020 before a revival in business by 2021. For some context, Huawei regenerated $104 billion in revenue in 2018. So less than 2018 for the next two years for a company that's experienced rapid, rapid growth for quite some time now. That's that's quite a setback. Kind of analogous to that, we've also seen uh, some of their supply chain partners getting hit by this as well. Broadcom has said that they're uh, the ongoing kind of the ongoing trade ban with Huawei will account for a decrease in sales of $2 billion in 2019. Uh, and Huawei accounts for 4% of Broadcom's overall business. Uh, their CEO basically came out and said, there's no substitute for this. It's not like there's other people out there that are going to buy 4% of our chips or something like that. So we're just taking this hit because we can't work with them. Uh, we're seeing, we're probably going to be seeing this effect throughout Huawei's supply chain. Ken, will this push an already consolidating chip industry to accelerate that trend? Are we going to just see more and more mergers uh, going forward because of this this lack of sales? We've, you know, I mean, we've already been seeing it, so I don't see why. That would do anything other than accelerate it, right? So mm. it's not going to slow down. Is it going to pick up pace? You know, th there's a good chance, but um, with the whole Huawei thing, there are those who believe that. Uh, this is mostly posturing between the U.S. government and Huawei themselves, and it comes down to who blinks first and who eventually who will cave and who will break or make concessions, whatever the case may be. Some think that it'll be the government and Trump because that's what he does. You know, he, he talks a big game and then claims that he got what he want when he gets what, you know, was promised from the other entity from the beginning or whatever the case may be. Um, regardless, you know, it's bad for Huawei, but it's also bad for their trading partners and something's going to happen, you know, either it's going to negatively impact the industry and we're going to see this acceleration of consolidation, like you mentioned, or more likely the ban's going to be lifted at some point and things will get somewhat back to normal. Um, I'm not sure which one I would bet on yet, but probably the latter, not the former. Yeah, I mean, the the other shoe, the big shoe to drop I was reading about was, you know, Micron has their earnings report coming up. And again, for an industry... DRAM is a huge supply that you need for smartphones mm -hmm. and any kind of consumer electronics and to be completely cut off from that uh, for a, for a, from a company the size of Huawei is certainly going to impact financials. That's already an industry that's having all sorts of financial pressures on it. And that's where I really think we could see 
further consolidation just out of sheer weakness, regardless of whether this you know goes on for six months to a year. And then also in, in a lot of the the smaller uh, backend stuff when we're talking about like digital signal processors or stuff like that, stuff things that we don't know those companies' names necessarily, um, but that are very important components. Smaller companies don't quite have the scale of a Broadcom or something like that, but that those kind of companies uh, may just kind of all amalgamate together. Or if this goes on long enough, obviously Huawei is trying to, and certainly has the manufacturing capability in China to spin up their own, you know, their own chips as rapidly as possible. So it could be that if this goes on long enough, uh, it forces an kind of an independent route that then even after the, you know, the trade ban ends, all of a sudden, you know, th- those aren't needed as much and can weaken the overall, theoretically weaken the overall market. Yeah, I, I would see Huawei wanting to avoid that, though, even though they have money and ca- capacity, all the R&D required behind, you know, developing and then manufacturing their own silicon to replace the supply chain they've been cut off from. Very risky proposition, right? But also risky is thir- leaving $30 billion uh, on the table, uh, well, yes. events, which is, um, which I don't know if you're aware of, this is bags and bags of cash. Yeah, with the dollar signs on them. Yeah. <laughs> Another company that has bags and bags of cash, AWS, or more specifically Amazon. And speaking to the BBC, AWS CTO Werner Vogels said that he sees AI and ML services as the key to Amazon's future growth, building out another profit center like AWS has proved to be, which now makes up a majority of uh, Amazon's actual profits. He stated that while some use cases will require organizations to create their own algorithms, Overall, he sees Amazon able to fill the need for the vast majority of use cases, which I think is really interesting because right now, I think when we we think of Amazon AI services, it's very specific, like recognition or Lex, these very specific, hey, you know, take this text or take this image and, you know, transform it into something else. Uh, Looking in terms of the ethics of AI, particularly the company's recognition service, uh, which is their image recognition, he stated uh, it wasn't Amazon's place to moralize on use cases. Ken, do AI and ML services have the same kind of headroom for the company as AWS? I, I was a little skeptical about this. Well, I don't know about that. So, you know, everyone wants to talk about AI and ML, right? But to actually develop and effectively implement, implement both of them is a challenge. So having a service that customers can just use uh, against, you know, their data sets, their applications, it's pretty cool. But when you can try to compare it to AWS, which is a service that was basically a replacement for the things that companies were already doing. They already had their data centers, their infrastructures. They didn't want to anymore. They just wanted to run applications somewhere. And all of a sudden, AWS emerged as a great platform to do that. Great, you know, uh, we, we can use this now, as opposed to a lot of companies interested in doing an AI and ML, but they don't necessarily have a plan yet. They're not looking to replace, you know, existing platforms that they have. So I don't see it as necessarily a uh, a large enough market to compare to AWS, at least not at this point. It's certainly a growth market and something that AWS has to be involved in. You know, good for them, good idea. Uh, but I don't think it's going to match the growth by a long shot of the rocket ship that is AWS. Yeah, that's a really interesting point in terms of being, you know, a, a direct replacement as opposed to something that's really just people are just starting to wrap their heads around of something that they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are going to be a lot of small startups or something like that that can certainly, you know, can be built around using those services which is maybe where you, you'll see the biggest growth as opposed to, you know, larger organizations, uh, at least in the immediate future. I do exactly. think long term, there's certainly, you know, like you said, there's certainly uh, uh, there's certainly more bags and bags of cash to be made. Uh, but, yeah, I was I was skeptical to, to think of it in that way, although that may be something where, you know, once you have these services set up, um, 
you they obviously they already have the hardware set up to run AWS that could easily run these services, um, and so maybe there's there's an even higher margin potential there, and that's that's kind of what they're referring to as well. Yeah, th- th- there's that, but you make a good point about it basically being the thing for the startups, the early adopters, right? And you know that's what AWS was at first too, but we see adoption increasing, we t- see continued growth because finally the enterprise is getting on board as well. Because they had something that needed to be replaced, back to that earlier point. But mm-hmm. they're not all necessarily running AI and ML to, to begin with. Maybe they'll just, you know, start it up for the first time in it in AWS instead of you know on premises because barely anybody's putting any new applications in their own data center for, for most in most cases. But it's not quite the same growth potential or pattern, in my opinion. I, I do think this may be signaling that we're about to, you know, the next couple of reinvents to see some very aggressive offerings in terms of moving away from, you know, right now it, it seems like the services are so single use and not to say that they they can't scale. I mean, obviously they're all meant to scale infinitely, virt- virtually infinitely, uh, but to make them more general, because right now it's not like, like facial recognition is you know, moral implications aside, is like, okay, this is like, it's so specific a use case, right? It's like, okay, this is great for law enforcement. This is great for retail. This is great for any number of situations, but it's still like this one image recognition thing. I think the the key to that is to, to building it out to, I don't know, just be a little bit more general use. And also, I guess, Maybe maybe they need to make the case on how that ties in greater to AWS and and you know some of their other more familiar services to make it that growth center. Yeah, maybe they didn't. Maybe they have a grand vision in mind that they didn't really share or articulate very well. Because yeah. I'm not I'm not sold either. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, next up, we have uh, the League of Entropy from Cloudflare. And uh, let me let me just give you some background here. In order to create better randomized numbers, Cloudflare launched the League of Entropy. So. They release something that sounds cool in a press release. Uh, this is a quorum of decentralized randomness, uh, decentralized randomness beacons, excuse me, and designed to provide random numbers with high degrees of entropy that aren't as vulnerable to corrupt insiders as any one of these beacons might be, theoretically. Uh, Cloudflare's own lava lamp generated random numbers. Yes, they use lava lamps, which evidently are great down the line for generating random numbers. I will be joined by Switzerland's EPFL University and the University of Chile and Protocol Lab. So all of these random number generated, gener, excuse me, random number <laughs> generator beacons will all be uh, uh, amalgamated to create even greater entropy. It is interesting to note here, they're specifically citing this for public use cases, not for using it for cryptographic keys. Uh, It's designed to create numbers uh, where the value should not be secret, uh, but must be transparent, fair, and unbiased. And they cited things like election auditing, lotteries, and blockchain use cases uh, for that situation. So Ken, one, I think the the, citing the difference between public and private random numbers, I think Mm -hmm. is really interesting. But, you know, where... I mean, is this just, hey, we, we did this cool thing and we gave it a cool name and that's why we're paying attention to it? Or does this have some broader uh, use cases? It's something interesting that I never considered before reading this story, right? Like, oh, hey, that, that is a good point because people need random number gen- random numbers for a number of use cases. And the providence of those uh, numbers is something that I never thought to call in question, but maybe I should have been. Um you know, just saying, though, that, hey, this random number was generated by our consortium of companies, our League of Entropy is one thing. I hope that there's some kind of public, 
I don't know, ledger like a blockchain or some kind some kind of proof of the randomness and, and the way it was generated to show back to uh, users, to customers, to the public. It sounds like there is, but I'm not really sure what that is. That would be kind of important to be able to trust this over any other random number generator. Otherwise, you're just taking their word for it, right? Well, and some of these generators, not the lava lamp one, but you know, effectively are run by clusters of servers. And one interesting thing I saw was that, you know, sometimes as any cluster of servers, some of them go down, some of them are down for maintenance, you know, some of them crash, whatever, at any given time. And so when that happens, that does slightly reduce the degree of entropy. And so by using this quorum-based approach, even when that happens, you're still getting, you know, that that increased uh, entropy and and making more reli- reliably random numbers. Again, the, the math gets a, a little odd with that. I did see, like, all of this, to be able to generate all of this stuff and to be able to run it locally, um, they do have a GitHub page up for that. So there's at least yeah. uh, some transparency in the code there, uh, which I would expect. I mean, Cloudflare kind of knows they're going to be up for that kind of scrutiny when they put something like this out for sure. Oh, yeah. And I'll admit that, you know, I read this uh, announcement ahead of time, but I didn't have enough time to truly analyze it and understand it because it is pretty complicated. It sounds like they put a lot of thought into it. Uh, At this point, I have to trust what they're saying and not really be able to verify it myself because it is rather mathematical and complicated. (laughs) But um, sometimes you got to trust the mathematicians uh, with those kinds of things, I guess. Well, and what's interesting though is, is so yeah, uh, Cloudflare uses lava lamps to generate. Records. I've heard about that. Yeah. Uh, the University of Chile actually uses seismographic readings from what I was, I was seeing uh, to kind of base really? that off of. Yeah. So it's interesting, not just that they're, they're kind of building this quorum of random numbers, but also that there's this very interesting variety of ways that people can get those, which I think is really cool as well. I wonder if any of those are anything that you can influence or predict. You know, can I drive a, a, a great big semi-convoy <laughs> uh, through Chile? To, to, and, yeah. to, or can I, can I hack into Cloudflare's HVAC system and raise the temperature or lower the temperature and influence the lava lamps? It's kind of like a whole Mr. Robot situation. Mm, or a Black Mirror uh, episode if we wanted to be extra depressed about it. Oh. But one thing I'm not depressed about, Ken, is being on the Gestalt IT Rundown with you. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, where can people find more of your great stuff if they are so inclined? You can always check my writing out on gestaltit.com. I'm on Twitter as at Ken Nalbone. You can meet my, read my random thoughts there, whether they're professional or not. And you can always connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty sure I'm the only Ken Nalbone there. I will verify that, even though I have no certainty of it whatsoever. Uh, you can find me on Gestalt IT as well, or on Twitter at Mr. Anthropology, MR Anthropology there, or most other social things. That's where you'll find me. Um, and uh, yeah, so until next time we meet, which will be Wednesday at 1230 p.m. Eastern Time, streaming to you live, the Gestalt IT Rundown. For me, for Ken, for all of us here at Gestalt IT, here's wishing you and yours to have a super sparkly day. 